last discussion focused on God as creator, the first article of the creed. It leads us into the second article of the creed, the treatment of God as our redeemer. Uh, what would you say, how could you summarize the, the chief theme or themes of Luther's explanation to the second article? Well, fortunately, I don't have to invent one. Luther cruises in with his own text. Uh, what is kind of interesting is that in the German text, for each article of the creed, Luther took one word from the Apostles' Creed, capitalized it, thereby signaling he was making this a central theme. So in the first article, we saw that he capitalized the word creator and thereby develops his entire explanation around that particular word or that particular uh, theme. In the second article, he had several options available to him from the Apostles' Creed because we confess, I believe, in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And in the history of the explanation of the catechism, the first two had been used from time to time. For example, if you were to focus on the phrase Jesus Christ, particularly the word Christ, which means anointed one, that would provide an opportunity to uh, elaborate or expound upon the threefold office of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. On the other hand, if you were to focus on the phrase his only son, that would provide an opportunity to uh, talk about the relationship of the Son of God to the Father, and that then opens the door to talking about his deity and Trinitarian issues or uh, the Trinity itself. Luther is one of the first to focus on the phrase our Lord and make that the centerpiece of his explanation uh, so that he, in doing so, he actually picks up, uh, you might say, a central New Testament theme, namely the confession, Jesus is Lord. Now, even in the Apostles' Creed, when it says Jesus is our Lord, it's already picking up a little bit of a emphasis on salvation, not just Lord in general, but our Lord. And Luther really makes this more personal uh, in the way that the Reformation does with its emphasis on faith as speaking about God's work for me. So the central clause, the main clause of this entire article can read, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord. That's the heart of this article, and that's the theme of his explanation to this article. Well, the, the creed, of course, does confess that this Jesus of Nazareth is a special person. Does Luther pick up on that? Uh? Yeah, in fact, when you consider the structure of his explanation of this article, it's really quite nice. Once we have confessed, I believe that Jesus is my Lord, Luther proceeds to answer three questions, you might say. First of all, who is my Lord? Second, how did he become my Lord? And third, for what purpose did he become my Lord? And so the first question, who is my Lord, is critical. This is a central question of Christianity. Who is Jesus Christ? Here Luther briefly summarizes the history of the early church in two very elegant parallel statements. Who is Jesus as my Lord? He's true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and true man, born of the Virgin Mary. In these two compact statements, Luther summarizes 
the controversies and the debates of the 4th and 5th centuries of the church where it was firmly established and confessed that Jesus is God in every sense of the word as the Father is. And at the same time, Jesus is a complete, genuine human being. That's a, a, a brief summary of a lot of biblical material. That's who our Lord is. Um, what has he done for us? Yeah, and I think it's brief in part because Luther is presupposing the entire tradition behind him. Um, the Nicene Creed certainly unpacks this more fully, and perhaps in our day we may need to do so as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, as Luther goes on, though, to the question, how did he become my Lord? Uh, this has a number of, I think, nuanced statements or themes that are probably worth unpacking um, as, as it gets us into the nature of redemption or the nature of salvation. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think it's intriguing that it is in the second article that Luther deals really with the matter of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not so much in the first article. There is a reference to protecting us and defending against all evil, but he doesn't pick up human sin as much. And so I th- the way I tend to look at the first article in relationship to sin is the first article can be seen as kind of like, um, how shall I say, an emergency medical technician who arrives on the scene of an accident. Uh, An emergency medical technician uh, arriving on the scene of an accident has the task of stabilizing the victim of the accident so that they can transport the person to the hospital where that person's wounds and injuries can be addressed in the operating room. In a similar manner, the first article can hold back the tidal, the tidal wave of sin. It can preserve the world un, or keep it going until Christ returns, but it isn't the task of the first article to remove sin or get rid of sin. So it stabilizes us so that we can arrive in the operating room of the second article where Jesus deals with our sin directly. But as Luther picks up on the word Lord, he uses language here that I think people in his society would readily recognize they lived in a feudal society with lords and dukes and princes and kings. But Luther now develops this, I think, in a way that might be a little different than we're accustomed to thinking. We're accustomed to thinking especially of Christ's suffering and death in terms of the sacrifice that he rendered on the cross, uh, thereby removing our guilt in God's eyes and taking upon our punishment, namely the wrath of God. Now that's there, but I think it's a little bit more Um, subsumed under another theme, namely Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil. So Luther opens up by stressing that Jesus has redeemed me, one might even say rescued me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased or another way of rendering would be obtained me, purchased and won me or obtained me and won me from sin, death, and the power of the devil. I think what Luther is doing here in the second article then is painting a picture in front of the children's eyes. Because it's an oral society, he uses very concrete down-to-earth language. Uh, He creates images in the mind that we can remember. And so I think what he's doing here is he's creating, in broad strokes, you might say the picture of a battlefield. And if you can imagine on this battlefield on one side, 
you have lined up from horizon to horizon Satan and all his armies and all his hosts. Behind enemy lines, we as human creatures are prisoners of war. We are sinners. We are captive to sin. We are captive to death. We are under the power and lordship or the power, and uh, better than lordship, the power and tyranny of the devil. Um, uh, the devil and his hosts are jailers, you might say. Then striding onto the battlefield from the other side is Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. In a sense, it almost looks as if he's going out to do battle with Satan like David doing battle with Goliath. <clears throat> the two-wage battle, and by his death and by his resurrection, Jesus conquers sin, the power of sin, the power of death, and the tyranny of the devil, thereby freeing us from captivity and then taking us home to be with him in his kingdom forever. So you have this image that he rescues us, being lost and condemned to death. He does this not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, his innocent suffering and death. So here we have the cross being portrayed in some ways as the trophy of Christ's victory. It's by means of his death that he actually accomplishes victory. In dying, he is victorious. The whole purpose of this then, and this actually leads us into the third question, for what purpose did he do all this? That I may be his own, that I may belong to him. I'm no long, I no longer belong to Satan, I belong to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that I may live under him in his kingdom in everlasting innocence, righteousness, and blessedness. And I think in some ways this really captures how the early church also viewed a baptism, which will pick up these themes as well. Namely, baptism was a transfer of lordship. I'm transferred from uh, Satan's kingdom into Christ's kingdom. I'm transferred from this tyrant and dictator, and now live under the gracious lordship, if you will, of Jesus Christ himself. And so our picture of a lord often as a tyrant isn't what Luther's picking up on at all. No, and that's really an important point, I think, especially here in America, because sometimes you may hear in everyday speech, now that you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, make him Lord of your life. Uh, Go from from the one who rescues you to the one who's in control. Exactly. And it almost sounds like, okay, he saved you, now put him in charge. Mm -hmm. Make him the taskmaster of your life, the one who tells you what to do and what not to do. Luther understands the word Lord as a synonym for redeemer. Lord for him is not a law word, it is a gospel word. For Jesus to be Lord is for Jesus to be one who rescues us, one who recovers us, one who saves us, one who makes us his own. So it's very much a gospel word. And I think that's something that we in American society probably have to, or as Christians in America, he didn't work hard to recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he didn't rescue us so that we could go on living in sin. He rescued us so that we could be his own. The, the, yeah, and in a sense, bringing us back to the Father mm-hmm. to be the children of the Father, heirs of eternal life and the like. Now, like I said, the large catechism is even more explicit on this. Mm-hmm. Um, there Luther really tells the story of how after God had created us and given us every good thing, Satan 
led Adam and Eve astray. And so that we were then under captivity. There he describes Satan as dominions, as jailers, wardens, if you will. And I think that's kind of an important term either because we cannot regard Satan or the power of death as equal to God in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, they too were creatures, fallen creatures. Um, and so at best, they can be seen as jailers or wardens. Not judge, not God, not creator, uh, and the like. Now, even though I have emphasized pretty strongly, I think, that the dominant theme here in Luther's treatment of the second article is this notion of uh, lordship and Jesus being victorious over the power of sin, over the power of death, over the tyranny of Satan. Um, This is not to say that he doesn't neglect uh, the importance of our guilt, that we are accountable. We can't simply say, well, the devil made me do it. I had no role in this. That is there too. Um, it's not as strong of a theme. It appears certainly in other sermons that Luther preaches. But this theme of lordship and victory is especially strong in his catechetical sermons and his sermons around holy work. I think it's very fascinating to look at how he preaches on Good Friday. Very often it's portrayed as... uh, Jesus doing battle with Satan and it appears to uh, outward appearances that Satan won. Mm -hmm. Uh, He'll use language like Satan grabbed the uh, Lord of Heaven, grabbed him off his throne and threw him down into the grave and is throwing a victory dance on his grave. Uh, CFW Walther does the same thing in his well-known hymn, He's Risen, He's Risen. Mm -hmm. That uh, It appears on Good Friday that Satan, the victory is won. Uh, The hosts of hell, um, uh, you can hear their shouts and jeers, but short-lived is their victory, for the tables are quickly turned. And uh, so you can think of Good Friday on the one hand, both as Christ having lost the battle, and yet, in a hidden way, by means of his death, has actually won. And then Easter um, triumphs over death and uh, makes known Uh, that victory. And as you say, Luther brought that message of victory over sin and guilt and death uh, to his people through the preaching of the word, the preaching that the Holy Spirit conducts, the use of the word that the Holy Spirit gives the church on this earth. Our next session will be devoted to looking at what Luther said about the Holy Spirit.